Hallelujah. Did you bring your Bibles? Amen. Let's make our declaration this morning. Are you with me, David? Thank you, my friend. Say it with me. This is my Bible. I live by its truth. I walk in its light. I rest in its promises. I'm empowered by its love. I overcome by the faith produced from receiving this seed sown into my heart. Father, I thank you today for your word. I thank you for a new year, a new decade, a new season, a new time to say yes to you in our life. Father, I thank you that by your spirit today, you'll speak with clarity with revelation, with understanding into our hearts and lives. Holy Spirit, come and do what only you can do. Reveal the Father and the Son to us in Jesus' name. And somebody said, Amen. Amen. Praise the Lord. Let me just say this. You know, when it comes to doing things, I want to believe, I'm believing to be a greater sower. Galatians chapter 6 and verse 7, in every area of our life, it says, Be not deceived. God is not mocked. Whatever a man sows... That shall he also reap. And everything in our life is based upon how we sow. If you don't like your life, check your seed. If you don't like the circumstances, check the seed. What are you sowing? What are you doing? Everything in life is based upon seed, time, and harvest. Everything. And so sowing is so important. And I want to believe God because if I'm sowing the right seeds, I reap the right harvest. Amen. I, I can't plant onions and expect strawberries. But sometimes that's what we do. We're planting a sour, sour seed. We're planting negative seeds and we're expecting to have sweetness and, and, and good things to come to pass in our life. And we wonder how come things aren't turning around. Change the way you sow. Amen. Change the way you sow. So look at your outline with me. Uh, this morning I'm just going to walk you through five things of dealing with one thing. <laughs> Five one things. Amen? And so, but I want you to think about that. Just do one thing. Amen. Just do one thing. And that will always lead to something else. See, we can all look at our lives, our choices, and our circumstances and try to come up with a solution that will fix everything all at once. How many want that all-in-one solution? Amen. And boy, if I could just find out one thing that I could do that would fix everything, how many know that isn't going to happen? But what happens is we become overwhelmed by the vastness of the task in front of us. So many times we compromise and in the end settle for accepting things as they are. That's what happens with New Year's resolution. People make it, well, I need to change this, I need to fix this. We make this big list of resolution, and then we just find out by the middle of the year we're just where we were last year. In the same place, we compromise and accept things as they are. You see, the challenge that accompanies change is the list that comes with it. Anytime I want to change, it's usually connected to a list. When we look at the list of all the things that we want to change, need to change, know we should change, we can get intimidated and sometimes discouraged. But the list before us did not come about all at once. It accumulates over time, one thing at a time. And the way we get the victory over it is by taking just one thing at a time and changing it. Amen. Yesterday, I did several one things at a time. Amen. It's amazing. I rearranged a few things, did some different things. Pastor Sue was taking down all the decorations and doing that. In fact, while I'm there, if we could get a few guys to help us, we're going to bring the boxes down for our decorations next week. We will change the look of the sanctuary. Amen. One decoration at a time. We'll get them out of here. Amen. Hallelujah. So if you'd like to help after service, we'd appreciate that help. Think about it. The old saying, one thing leads to another. How many have said that? One thing leads to another. 
It's a great approach to effective change in our lives in serving the Lord. As Pastor Tim referred, our world today is getting crazier by the day. If you look at the world on a global scale, in fact, it's exciting. The more you look at the world, the closer you realize that we are to the culmination of all things. Everybody starts saying, and there's a lot of people, a lot of different theologies out there. But if you read the book, the book has an end to things and then a restoration and a renewal of all things. But before the restoration and the renewal can come and the eternal kingdom of God come, there has to be an end or a culmination of all things. And Bible prophecy gives us a lot of areas that lead up to us and give us signs to look at. And when you look at things that are happening, especially as Pastor Tim said in the Middle East with Iran and some of the alliances between Russia and China, what the Bible calls Gog and Magog and different things that are happening, there's a lot of global alignment coming into play because one day there will be a major battle. There will be an attack. And what's interesting, this is why Israel is so important. And this is where people who believe in replacement theology have kind of missed it in a certain way. Replacement theology is where the church is taking the place of Israel. And, 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 and that's it. I'll just say it as nice as I can. That's a heresy. Because Israel and the church are two separate works that God is doing in the world. They're two parallel works, but they're two separate works. I'm just going to interject this here to help you. When you look at Israel, everything God does and says to Israel is connected to nations. Everything God does and says to the church and does through the church is connected to individual people. The church is made up and the body of Christ is made up of individual believers that become a corporate body. God raised up Israel for one purpose, and that is to be able to righteously judge the nations. And there's a day coming when all the nations of the world will be judged. Are you with me? And so when we miss that and, and we give that away, then we miss the understanding of what's happening. And there will be a day when all the nations of the world will come against Israel. And at that time, that's where we'll have the battle of Armageddon, the culmination of all things. But when you see what's happening in the world today, you realize there are a lot of things getting very close to that aligning and coming to pass. That's why today's the day of salvation. Amen. That's why today's the day to be ready, to be ready, and be uh, in right relationship with the Lord. So our world today is getting closer. We can't fix, we cannot afford to be distracted or discouraged. We must keep our eyes and our heart fixed on the Lord. How many would agree? Keep your eyes and your heart fixed on God. So I will want to look at these five areas. Turn inside your outline if you would. Five areas of one thing. That the Lord points out. So how do I stay ready? How do I keep focused? How do I make change? Just do one thing at a time. In Luke chapter 10, we have the account of Jesus being at Lazarus' house and uh, being there teaching. And Mary and Martha are there, the sisters of Lazarus. And we know Martha. She's busy. She's the housekeeper. She's the hostess. She has the gift of hospitality. She wants to make sure everybody has something to eat. Everybody has to play. With the, the tableware is just right. Everything just right. This is here. There's enough chairs set out. They're running out of matzo balls or whatever. <laughs> Concerned about it all. How many Marthas do we have in the house? Yeah. Amen. But then her sister Mary... You know, she just doesn't care about anything. She is, everything will always work out. It'll all be all right. Amen. How many Marys do we have in the house? Amen. Nobody wants to raise their hand. Amen. So watch it. But through all that, Martha's getting upset because Martha's being Martha and Mary's being Mary and Martha's upset. And Jesus answered and said to her, Martha, Martha, you are worried and troubled about many things. 
I want you to hear that part. Life comes and you can be worried and troubled about a lot of things. But listen to what Jesus said. But one thing is needed. In all of your worries and all of your concerns and all your business and all of your responsibilities, one thing is needed. One thing is needed. And Mary has chosen that good part which will not be taken away from her. You see, there's no shortage of things that place a demand upon our time. We all have responsibilities and projects that need to be done. In fact, life comes with a never-ending to-do list. Amen? Anybody have things you need to do this week? You get all those done, what are you going to have? Another to-do list. Life just comes with a never-ending to-do list. It's just the way it is. The key is learning how to prioritize a list and keep first things first. How do I keep first things first? Martha was busy with her list while Mary had chosen the one thing that was needed, keeping the Lord first in her life. And that's what I'm challenging you to do. One thing, the first thing, and one thing to do and always to do is always keep the Lord first in your life. Lists pull you away and take time away from you being with God. Reading your Bible through, having devotional time, having time for prayer, having time just to be at the feet of Jesus in the presence of God, that is one thing that is important in your life. And if I'll do that one thing, that one thing will affect everything else that follows. Are you with me? Just that one thing will have great impact. Secondly, in John chapter 9, well, I, I love preaching on this. I haven't preached on it for a while, but there's a blind man sitting by the road, and Jesus and his disciples walk by, and the disciples say, who sinned his parents or this man that he was born blind? And Jesus said, neither, but that the works of God might be made manifest in him. So Jesus spits on the ground, makes mud, puts it in the man's eye, and tells him to go wash in the pool of Siloam. So the man goes and washes, and then he comes back seeing, and then he begins to be interrogated, for being healed. It's an amazing passage of scripture. So he's interrogated for being healed, and finally he's before the, the, uh, the religious leaders of that day, he's being put on trial in church, on trial for being healed. Instead of rejoicing with him, they want to know who did this and how is it that you're healed, and then they're mad at Jesus because he made mud with spit, and they called that working on the Sabbath, so they're mad that he's working, making enough mud to heal a guy. Are you doing all right? And so here's this poor guy caught in the middle of this whole scenario, and their question said, who is he? How did he do this? And listen to the guy's answer. And he answered and said, whether he is a sinner or not, I do not know. One thing I, what? Know. That though I was blind, now I see. Think about it. When it comes to what we need to know, there's no shortage of subject matter. Look at all the information. We live in the information age. You know what the problem with our society is today? Too much information. We, we have too much information. Everything is instantly available. You do something, whatever you are, through social media, news media, everything else, boom, it's out there immediately. It's out there. We're overwhelmed and flooded with information. And then because there's so much is available, we think we need to know something about all of it. And we get caught up know, trying to know, be informed, be on top of that. And there's areas to be informed of. There's no shortage of that matter. In fact, Paul tells Timothy that one of the signs of the latter times would be the increase of learning without the knowledge of the truth. 
2 Timothy 3 and verse 7 says, Always learning and never able to come to the knowledge of the truth. But there's one thing that we all need to know. One thing. And that's what this man knows. Who Jesus is and what he has done for us and what he will do in our life. This guy said, I don't know what he is. I can't answer all your questions. I just know this. A man named Jesus made mud, put it in my eye, told me to walk, and now I see. I was blind, and now I see. I know what Jesus has done in my life. You see, I don't have to convince all the doubters or be able to win all the arguments. And says, everybody wants to, well, how's this? How's that? I don't care. If you want to doubt, press on. If you want to argue, press on. This is what I know. I was lost and I'm found. I was blind and I see. I was lost and I'm saved. Amen? That's all I need to know. I I was sick and I've been healed. You don't have to explain it. You just need to know this one thing I know. Amen. And that's who Jesus is and what he will do in our lives. The third thing is, is what David said. David said this, One thing I have desired of the Lord, and that will I seek after, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to behold the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in His temple. See, the world has no shortage of things to desire. We are bombarded daily by marketing and advertisement for the latest and greatest thing to desire and telling us how much better our life would be if we had it. Think about that. You need this. Why? And we think, oh, yeah, that would be so much. How many have stuff that you thought you needed and you desired to have and you don't use it hardly at all? <laughs> Amen. That's how we end up having yard sales. <laughs> Amen. Think about it. You know, we just had Christmas and people say, what do you want? What do you want? How many know that list of, our list of wants could be unending? I just want to end global warming. <laughs> Whatever. Compared to what do you need? See, I have a hard time. By the time you're over 60, you really don't need much. Because I don't do that much anymore. No. In that area. But we think, what do, I, what do you want? What I want compared to what I need are two different lists. What do I really need to be happy? What do I really need to be content? See, wants are connected to desires. And people ask you, what do you desire? And this list is determined by who and what has my heart. My desires are determined by who and what has my heart. In the life of David, something happened. We need to understand desire is a driving force in our life. If it is fueled by the wrong motives, it can be controlling and destructive. David didn't learn to get control on his life when he was first a king. You can read it in 2 Samuel. He becomes king and he stays home. The Bible says at the time when kings go to war, David stayed home. And so being home, being up on the balcony, he's looking out. And what he's doing, he's looking out. And he begins to see a young lady down there who is bathing on her balcony there and doing that. However, that that all happened during that time. But he begins to look on her and he begins to have a desire towards her. Desire can be controlling and destructive. 
And that's what happened in David's life. David learned, though, to surrender his desire to God after it produced destructive results in his life. Through lust, murder, and the death of an innocent child and man. David began to desire a relationship with Bathsheba. He went into and, and brought him to himself, and they entered into a relationship together. And then she becomes pregnant, and then to cover up his sin and the consummation of his desire... The way he covered it is that he had Uriah killed and then God judged him and that judgment caused the death of the child that was born out of that relationship. See, desires can be controlling and destructive. Are you with me? So later, after that, is when David penned, one thing have I desired. And that's why I seek out. He learned how to bring his desire into control and submit it to God. See, one thing is needed... One thing we need to know, and when it comes to desires, we have to make sure that our desires are headed in the right direction. Psalm 37 and verse 4 says, Delight yourself in the Lord, and He shall give you the desires of your heart. So going back to that one thing is needful. When I keep God first in my life, that keeps my desires in check. Because it's amazing what happened. When I just give my whole life to God, you know, even Pastor Sue and I get married, I'm just happy hanging out with her. It doesn't matter whether we do anything. doesn't matter whether she's doing anything for me. You know what? Getting saved, I'm just happy hanging out with the Lord. He doesn't keep, have to keep performing miracles. He doesn't have to always be proving how much he loves me. I know he loves me. He's been good. He's faithful. Are you listening to me? So that area of just loving God. David said that, that when we delight ourselves in the Lord, he'll give you the desires of your heart. That doesn't mean he gives you what you desire. He replaces the wrong types of desires in our life, and he puts his godly desires within us. And when he puts desires in your heart, he brings all of those to pass. Are you with me? When the Lord becomes the delight of our life, he not only transforms our desires, but delivers us from their destruction. He replaces our desires with his desires. For us and fulfills them in our life. Having Him as our one desire is the secret to a fulfilled life. If you're here today and you're frustrated going all over, let me just ask you who has control of your desires? The things we desire in life. Oh, I need this. I need that. And we go back to our wants and our needs and our desires. And we get caught up in that. We get pulled away. And those things pull us away from God. I need a better job. I need more money. I need a better car. I need a bigger house. I need to do that. I need to do that. Ah. And we're driven by that. No. One thing I desire, I just need the Lord. I found this all these years of serving God. All these years of serving Him. Amen. I surpassed 40 years serving the Lord. That's awesome. Amen. 1978. Yeah, I'm two years. I'm 42 years old in the Lord. Glory to God. Amen. That's why I try, I try to act that age instead of 66. 42 is a better age. Amen. So if you only got born, born again this year, you're only one, so just act like a baby. We'll put up with you. Amen. <laughs> but in all that, I found that God has been so faithful. God has been so faithful. You know, there has never been one thing that God hasn't fulfilled in my life. It doesn't mean the pastor Sue and I have, 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 have had abundance in store. Or we had to have uh, accumulate abundance. But there are things that things happen. I like to hunt. I like to fish and do things like that. Outdoor sports and over there. And over the years when I could afford it, God has blessed and put things in my life. Because there's something about, how many know that Jesus said, seek what? First, the kingdom of God and all these what? 
thing shall be added unto you. So when I keep the kingdom first, instead of being driven by to have my desires first and everything else, when I keep God first, things are added unto me. When we were pastoring in Bieber, there was a gentleman there, and he had a great job, made a lot of money, and he liked to do different things, and he bought a lot of guns and did a lot of stuff and hunted all over the place. And one day he came to my house, and he gave me a very nice shotgun. And he goes, here, I just want to give you this because you'll never be able to afford this. Okay. Whatever helps you blesses me. Amen. But, but, in, but what I'm saying is that in, in that area, God has done that time and time and time and time again. In 1995, I, I had a family walk into my office across the way, and they said, well, the Lord told us, and they gave me my first motorcycle. They said, the, the Lord wants us to give you this. I said, obey God. And, and, and down through the year, everything that has happened, so, and, and things come to, are you listening to me? And so you get to have these things and do that, and things that come to you, you don't have to seek those things. But what I'm saying is that desire, it can be such a root that distract us and move us off. And that's why when we begin a new year, we start desire to do new things for the Lord. Those things creep back in. We need to let God transform us in that area. Number four, Jesus looking at him, loved him, and said to him, one thing you lack. This is the rich young ruler who came and he asked Jesus, says, hey, what do I have to do to be saved? And Jesus says, well, you know that's written in the law and the prophets. And he begins to list off the commandments to the Lord. And the young man goes, all these I have done from my youth. Presented himself and his righteousness to the Lord. And the Lord goes, that's awesome, dude. But there's one thing you lack. There's one thing you lack. And what God, when God begins to speak to us about the one thing you lack, he said to the rich young ruler, go sell all that you have and then disperse it and give it to the poor. And then come and follow me. So he offered him apostleship. He offered him to be the replacement for Judas. Amen. And he missed it. Many people think that this is Barnabas who later came in and became an apostle with Paul in that area, in that, the Son of Consolation, and in dealing with that, because you read, get over, I believe, in Acts chapter 5, in, or Acts, end of Acts chapter 4, that Barnabas has a piece of property in doing that and sold it and gave it in dealing with that. But in that area here, the, the Lord tells him that that one area that had a hold of him, and it will always be the thing that has a greater hold on you than he does. God will always touch something, and when he speaks to you, it'll be something that has a greater hold of your heart than he does. Something that pulls you away from him. Something that can take your time away from him. Amen. You see, we're all aware. How many know that nobody just has one thing they need to change? That just isn't going to happen. We're all aware of things we need to change in our character and behavior. For most of us, the list is longer than our wants and desires. There are some, like the rich young ruler, though, who think they have it all together. They've done everything right, and they're just waiting for the Lord to say, well done. Regardless of which end of the spectrum we find ourselves on, the Lord never overloads us by pointing out all at once everything that needs to change in our lives. He simply points out one thing at a time, and one thing leads to another. What do I mean by that? We're all in the process of being saved. Just because you prayed the prayer and you accepted the Lord, you entered into the process of being saved. The process of being saved. And it's a daily renewal. 
Don't be conformed to this world. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind. That's daily, yearly, monthly, ongoing. Can you say amen? The process of renewal never stops. As long as we're alive, we will be in the process of renewal, changing one thing at a time. So we're in the process of being saved. We work out our salvation one thing at a time by the power of His grace working in us. We're all equipped and saved by the power of His grace, not by our works or our own righteousness, as a rich young ruler thought he was. Jesus said to Nicodemus in John chapter 3, For God did not send the Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through Him might be saved. How many know if the Lord pointed out everything we need to change, the weight of that would be condemnation upon us? But instead of that, he goes, hey, why don't you let me help you change this? And I'll grace you, I will empower you to make that change. Amen? Amen. And so I'm thankful that the Lord doesn't condemn us by pointing out all of our faults and failures, but empowers us by his grace to overcome them one at a time. Lastly, number five. Paul said this in Philippians 3. Brethren, I do not count myself to have apprehended. The word apprehended there also means to have arrived. Paul just said, the Apostle Paul said, hey guys, I'm not there yet. How amazing. I'm not there yet. The guy who had been caught up into the third heavens had revelations from God that he can't even talk about. He penned over half of the New Testament. He says, I haven't arrived yet. But listen to this, watch this. But one thing I what? Do. One thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forward to those things which are ahead. You see, no one gets it right all the time. How many know that person that thinks they do? Don't look up. There's no one who is mistake free. There's no one who does not have skeletons in the closet. There's no one who does not have a past to forsake and a future to embrace. The Apostle Paul made the choice to daily move forward and to refuse to be held captive to his past, which was forgiven and covered by the blood of Christ. He chose to live free from the debt of sin. Need to understand that. Whatever our past was, whatever our failures are, whatever our shortcomings were, maybe you could be like the rich young ruler. Maybe you actually only have one sin in your life. Maybe you only have only ever done one thing wrong. Maybe you were born in church, raised in church, and, and lived your whole life for God and did all that. You, you've never cussed, smoked, drank, or chewed, or run with girls who do. <laughs> Maybe you've never done any of that in your life. And you've just been perfect. Maybe. <laughs> but if you have one fault, if you have one sin, then it's the contamination of innocence. Adam and Eve were innocent in the garden. And that one fault, that one sin, cannot be paid for except by innocence in its place. Innocence was violated, and innocence is the price of redemption. Which is why it took a spotless lamb and an innocent life to freely give his life to pay the price for our sin or sins. Are you with me? So important. Because sin is a debt that we all have. And it's a debt that we could never pay ourselves. The only way it can be accounted for is to be forgiven. How many have ever had debt forgiven? I mean, somebody's come up and paid something else or somehow it was debt, a cancellation. 
And you weren't expecting it. It was a blessing. It's off your hand. Raise your hand real high. Don't be ashamed. Somebody paid that off. Amen. You've heard me tell the story. Pastor Sue and I had that happen in 1998. It happened to us. A family came in and paid off all. One, one weekend paid off all of our credit card debt. Well, he said, that was another time I said, obey God. Because they came in, they were family, a young, young girl that we led to the Lord in Bieber, and she lived with us for three years when we started the church here, went back home, got married, and her husband, they had received a family inheritance, and uh, they came back and uh, were visiting us one weekend, and after church on Sunday, said, hey, pastor, we just want to bless you, we've been praying, and uh, we want to know if you'll let us pay off all of your credit card debt. Um, no, I couldn't receive that, No. No, I said, obey God. <laughs> Amen. And in one weekend, they paid off all of our debt. And that burden was lifted off of our life. Now, let me tell you, we weren't in credit card debt because we were spending foolishly. We were in credit card debt because we had planted a church. And we'd given our life to the gospel. And we needed tires. We didn't have the money to buy tires. When our kids needed school clothes, we didn't have money to buy school clothes. When we needed necessities in life, the only way we could have them was to charge them. And at that time, we had about eleven, about almost $10,000 in credit card debt. And they paid the whole thing off. And we ended up debt-free. What happens is, is though when we don't receive God's forgiveness... It's like us still making payments on something that has been paid in full. Are you with me? Look at the last page of your outline and I'll show you what it means by that. When we relive our past or allow people and the enemy of our souls to keep us under the condemnation of our past and our failures, it's like continuing to make payments for something that has been paid in full. I didn't keep sending checks to the credit card company. My debt was paid in full. But when you allow people or the enemy to hold you in bondage to your past and your failures, it's like making payment. No, that is paid in full. And, but the next thing we did is also we have never carried a balance on a credit card since that day. We didn't go back into debt. God gets you out to get, keep you out. Are you listening to me? People go, oh, I don't have no debt. We can go get a new who. And the Holy Ghost just wants to go. <laughs> well, actually what he says, okay, I got you out of that one. You can get yourself out of this one. Yeah. Are you with me? And so in that area, hear me, do not. That's why Christmas time, I almost preached on it and I didn't. But at Christmas time, people, I need to buy, you're, no. If, Jesus didn't die for you to go in debt. Jesus, it's not a celebration for somebody for you to put yourself in bondage of debt to buy them a present. I'm all the way in. I might as well just keep going. I love my wife. Because she is not high maintenance. Oh, I, that, <laughs> I don't have to prove how much I love her through expensive gifts. Let I me mean, know what I'm saying. That I can't afford. Now, I buy her gifts that I can't afford. Are you listening to me? 
but she doesn't expect more. Are you listening to me? In fact, she doesn't expect anything. That is a blessing. And husbands, you don't need to be high maintenance either. Amen. Your toys. Oh, come on, ladies. Your toys should not disrupt the household budget. If you get to have it and she didn't get nothing, you're wrong. Amen. Marriage is one. See, oh. Amen. Jeremiah 29, 11. <laughs> For I know the thoughts that I think towards you, says the Lord. Thoughts of peace and not of evil. To give you a future and a hope. God thinks about your future. And he never consults your, consults your past to determine your future. God, we read it over little baby Aspen. You are his workmanship created in Christ to live the life that he planned for you to live. And when God sees you, he sees you on the path that he prepared for you. And everything God does is to help you and I live on the path that he prepared for us. And when we just live by one thing at a time, just one thing at a time, one thing is needful, his presence. I just need to know one thing, who he is. Amen. I just need to have one desire to live in his presence. I just need to do one thing. I deal with the one thing I lack. And I just need to do one thing. And that's forget my past. Amen. And if I do that, God gives us, if the worship team will come back, God gives us great victory. See, forgetting the past, this one thing, is the key to your future in Christ. God's grace is sufficient to set you free from the brokenness, pain, discouragement, loss, and shame of your past. I want to just tell you today, let it go. Let it go. 2 Corinthians chapter 12, the passage is in there where Paul says, I asked the Lord to deliver me from this for three times. And this is what's important to understand, even about sowing, as I said earlier. That don't be deceived, God's not mock. Whatever man sows, that shall he also reap. And God can't cancel harvest, but he can grace us through it. Do you understand that? God doesn't nullify harvest. Do not be deceived. Whatever a man sows, that shall he also reap. And God says, I can't count. And the devil knows that. Are you listening to me? When I'm sowing wrong, I'm giving the devil ammunition to use against me. Because the devil holds God accountable to his word. Do you understand? That's why it's important for you to be a person of the word. Not just to listen to a pastor preach a sermon to you. You have to be in this book. You have to know this book. Because this is what the devil, the devil doesn't use. He uses this against you more than any other temptation. He holds God accountable to his word concerning your life. And God can never violate his word. The moment he violates his word, let me just say it to you as clear as I can. God cannot move towards you out of emotion. Can't. 
He can only move in your life according to his word. We respond to situations out of our emotions. We get emotionally involved when we make emotional decisions. God does not make emotional decisions. He makes word decisions. Are you listening to me? He makes a word decision. And so when I'm sowing things that, oh, God, get me out of this, I can't get you out of it. The best I can do is grace you through it. You'll walk through it. This is what God said to David. Even though David got his desires on her, God, God said, David, I, I, I can't do that. David prayed for that child and the child fell sick and he prayed and he sought the Lord. This is what David said. As long as the child is alive, there was hope. God says, I can't. This, this situation, this is the way it has to be for me to be righteous and just. And then God said to David in this area, because you have done this in killing Uriah, because you have done this, the sword will never leave your house. Are you doing all right? But God graced him to make it through all of that. And strength. And David got back to the place where he just waved. I'm not going to sow like that anymore. I'm going to keep my heart fixed. I'm going to keep my desires set. And I'm going to live right for God. Come on, guys. We're out of debt. We're saved. We're born again. We're filled with the Spirit. So let's just keep our desires fixed on God. And let Him bring those things to pass. Every Christian should have testimony. You, you shouldn't listen to somebody give a testimony like mine and talk about people bringing blessings into your life and God doing things for you. That should be your testimony. Every Christian should have that testimony. When I live for God, God shows up and He brings His grace to bear upon my life. Amen? Hallelujah. I need a bunch of people to help me real quick. I need a bunch of guys. Tim, come help me. Eli, come help me. Some guys over here. Jim, come help me. Come on. Cole, come on. Pass one of these out. These are prayer cards. Amen. And there's pens and chairs and seats. Make sure everybody gets one of these. Amen. That's what I want you to do today. Joe, come help me. Do something there. Come on. As quick as we can. Thank you, sir. I'm going to put this basket down here. And then I want you to fill that out. And then once you put that in there, in these next three nights, we're going to be praying over these prayer requests. We're praying over our wall. We're going to pray over these. And believe God. How many know it's time? It's time. It's time. Put somebody on there that you want to see God. Don't put yourself. Let me just put this like this. Don't put yourself on there. Don't put pray for me. Okay. You reap what you sow. What do, well, let, me, let me give you the answer. Like, what do you need? Well, I need healing in my life. Then begin to pray for somebody that needs a miracle in their life. I need a financial breakthrough in my life. Then begin to pray for somebody that needs a financial breakthrough in their life. I, I need my children to be saved. Then begin to pray for somebody whose children need to be saved. You reap what you sow. Not only in life, but in prayer as well. I, I've learned that, that's, that, that's a secret that I found in ministry. By giving your life away to others, you reap life back. By living to be a blessing, by sowing, by interceding. I spend, I, I, I really, if I could say it, I'm not saying it in the wrong way. I don't pray for myself. I don't have to pray for myself. I'm saved. I'm blessed. I'm in Christ. I've received just what I have it all in Him. Amen. I, I, I got it. 
I want somebody else to get it. So I pray for you. I pray for the church. I pray for our prayer needs. I pray over the needs that I hear that come up. I want to pray and sow and give to others. And by sowing, you reap. Are you doing all right? Praise the Lord. Stand with me real quick just before we sing.